0: Good morning. If you were to be looking for the title Christ in your concordance, you'd be curious to see what words are found in front of that title. Because if you and I were to explore these titles very carefully, what we would find in our concordance is that sometimes you will find a phrase in Christ. Other times, you will find the phrase, through Christ. You will find the phrase, to Christ, or from Christ, or upon Christ, or under Christ. And the more you explore those phrases, the deeper your relationship with God, and more profound your understanding of Christ will become. What I'd love to do with you in these coming Sundays together, mid-spring through mid-summer, is to explore those phrases together. And the more we go and the deeper we get, the more profound, I believe, God's word will speak to our own hearts and to the way in which we go about relating to God through Jesus Christ. Now, the one that we're starting off with this morning in this new series on the Christ series is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'd love for you to now turn there. And in verse 1 down through verse 10, you and I are given one of the great, great teachings on the whole subject of what does it mean to be in Christ in this fallen world? In Christ when things are not necessarily going well, in Christ when we are in pain. In Christ, when we are in sorrow. And how does the in Christ dominate in everything else pertaining to Christ? And that's what I would like to explore with you now. And that is exactly what Paul is doing for us in his exploration of these various, what we'll call prepositions of relationship, in, through, under, upon, to, for, and so on. So look for them. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, writing autobiographically now, informs us, I must go on boasting. And though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord.
1: Look at this. I know a man in Christ who 14
0: years ago was called up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was called up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter.
1: For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast
0: all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, that I am strong. So if you've experienced difficulties, challenges, physically, relationally, job-wise, otherwise, I want to explore this with you. What does it mean to be in Christ in the midst of all this? As we look to the Lord in prayer. Now, Father, as we're coming into your presence, we're so thankful for the fact that you find various ways to express the dynamics of our relationship to you. You sent Jesus Christ into this world. You were not obligated to do so. No demands placed upon you, but out of your gracious love, you provided the means and the singular way of salvation, and
1: it is through Christ and it is found in Christ. So we live our lives for Christ. So as we look at the prepositions of
0: relationships with you in the coming days together, give us tremendous insight as to what we should learn, deepen our faith, equip us to communicate this effectively to those that do not know you. And may there be a great movement of the Holy Spirit. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. Again, Father, we've come here to see Jesus
1: and Him only. Praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. He was a war veteran in the hospital. His
0: physician asked me to go check on him, and I did. And I had just gotten done speaking weeks prior from this very passage in 2 Corinthians. And he looked up at me. He had been in the service that day, and he said, You know, Pastor, I've been thinking. And what I've been thinking is this, it's better to be in Christ, in this bad body, than to be out of Christ, in
1: a good body. Now, he had suffered deeply and greatly
0: from the Vietnam War, and the physical challenges were obvious. But there was a spiritual intensity I detected in his eyes, and he was speaking from the heart. It's better to be in Christ, in this bad body, than to be out of Christ, in a good body. And I think the Apostle Paul would have nodded his head at that point. Because you and I are now exploring this whole matter of the man who is truly in Christ, but at the same time, there is a thorn in his body. And for some reason, God allows those to coexist. So what I want to do with you now, this morning, as we kick off this new mini-series, is to explore what does it mean this morning to be in Christ? Now, right now, I'm in Sheboygan County, and the zip code here is 53081. It is a a temporal, finite zip code. I am in Sheboygan County. Yet, having put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I also have an eternal, infinite zip code. I am in Christ for eternity, you see. While here, temporally, in this county. So the eternal and the temporal now are on a collision course, like many things found in these verses. And what I want to do is to draw out two aspects of what it means to be in Christ. And the first flows out of verse 1 down to verse 6. That for those in Christ, number 1, I want you to note with me the revelations here from God. (coughs) Now, We read verse 1, and immediately question marks start appearing in our minds, where he states, I must go on boasting, Paul does. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. This is not typical of Paul. Why is he stating this in verse 1? Well, the answer is, if you were reading elsewhere in this book, you would have found that he is being challenged by false apostles who have claimed special, unique privileges and distinctive experiences and supposed revelations and visions from God, and their teachings were running contrary to what Paul was teaching. For example, in chapter 11 and verse 5, Paul acknowledges these people when he states, Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super-apostles. And he calls them super-apostles because they are, they are above and beyond the realm of reality. They are making claims that can't be validated. And he bookends that, where in chapter 12, verse 11, he speaks of them again. I've been a fool, you forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended to you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. So now what Paul is having to do at this point is to enter into this whole issue of Greek pride and to show where his pride is found is not in self, Rather, he is going to place his pride in Christ. Now, they could recount an array of visions and revelations that they were supposedly receiving and state phrases such as, well, the Lord told me this morning, dot, dot, dot. And how can you critique that if God spoke to them? But what is the evidence that's found there that God had truly spoken to them? What interests me is that when you are looking at passages like Luke, Acts chapter chapter 9, verse 12, or chapter 16, verses 9 and 10, that Luke tells us that Paul's been rather reluctant to talk about his visions and his revelations. These people, they're not reluctant. But Paul doesn't normally share the content of any of the visions or revelations. There's a reason for his silence. He believes that there's really nothing to be gained by this kind of talk. But there's a spiritual pride that is here that he's having to address, and they are claiming insider information in their relationship to God. They are on the end. And I thought about that when I was reading in the past the biography of Ronald Reagan, maybe those of you who remember, there was a former Secretary of Labor by the name of Raymond Donovan, and he was in the back compartment of Air Force One. The phone rang, and it was inviting Donovan to join President Reagan for lunch, the front compartment. And so Secretary of the Labor... Donovan, he straightened his tie, thought himself as to how important he is. He's going to have lunch with the president. He's been asked to join him. And just as Secretary Donovan walked through the president's doorway, the red phone rang. It was the presidential hotline. Wow, he wrote. What a moment. I got to be present and nobody else was to be able to hear what nobody else would hear. And the president picked up the phone and said, yes, uh, yes, uh, wait, let me ask Secretary Donovan. And now he thought he was on cloud nine. I am being asked the ultimate opinion of the president. And then Reagan turned to Donovan and
1: said, "Uh, would you like Pepsi or lemonade? And Donovan said, my heart stopped beating. And my ego was deflated. I thought I was privy to insider
0: information. And this was just a run-of-the-mill conversation. Now, these people are claiming inside information. Though there's nothing to be gained by it, I will go, therefore, to visions, revelations of the Lord. He wants to refute their claims. So read on now in verse 2 through verse 4. And what does he say at this point? I know a man in Christ. He does not say, I am that man. Or I am the apostle of Christ. Do you see the humility here where he's not even utilizing his name or his credentials nor his office at this point? They would. They are boasting in their own spiritualities. But Paul, he's more interested in simply stating the fact that as a man, he is in Christ. Now, he was the one that wrote these words. Listen to this. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. What that tells us is that eternal life is in Christ Jesus. In Romans 8 verse 1, we're told, So is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus begin to connect there is eternal life in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus you get the second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 therefore if anyone is In Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There is eternal life in Christ. There is no condemnation in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. As this man who is obviously suffering looks up at his pastor, and he says, I would rather be in
1: Christ in this bad body than out of Christ in a good body. And I'm thinking about that
0: now as Paul goes on to say, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was called up to the third heaven. Realize then that this is not an ongoing experience for the apostle Paul. He doesn't say 14 minutes ago or 14 days ago. Or 14 months ago, he has to go back in time 14 years ago. And so I began to go back based upon when this book was written to the time period in which Paul had lived and takes me back to the time in which he was in the hidden years, those days in which he was in Syria and Cilicia, the quiet moments where he received input from God so he can deliver high output eventually for God. 14 years ago I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven not 14 minutes ago which tells me that his the revelations he received were episodic not ongoing private
1: not public personal not general
0: At this point, he's not even identifying himself as apostle or even utilizing his name. We see the humility here, which ought to be found when we position ourselves at the cross of Jesus Christ. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was called up to the third heaven. And I agree with Calvin at this point where he believes that the first heavens were up into the cloud range, the second from the clouds higher up toward the heavens. And then the third heaven is the abode, the presence of God, speaking astronomically at this point. And so what he wants to do here is to challenge you and to challenge me that he has had a very intimate experience with God, and the false teachers are drawing this out, and he's got to be able to counter what they're saying by offering his own set of Credentials. But notice the tension between the I know and the I don't know. You spot it in verse 2 and 3 and on into verse 4. And I know that... Well, let's start the second part of verse 2. Whether in the body
1: or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Verse 3. And I know that this man
0: was called up into paradise. And the Greek word for paradise was the word used to describe a particular setting in Greece of a rich man who had something suctioned off from his large property, a private setting. Flowers and trees, nobody else could go. It was his own personal park. So now he's utilizing their terms. And he says, well, I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Still doesn't identify himself. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Notice the humility here. in now verse 4. And he heard. Not I heard. He heard things that cannot be told. These false apostles would have been quick to say, I heard this. I saw that. And Paul is not even speaking in terms of his own name or apostleship. And furthermore, he says, he heard these things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. You and I are struck at this point with the humility and the power of the way the apostle Paul, in the midst of the challenges that he's experiencing, he's willing to speak of the uncertainties as a fact in the very ways in which he's going about explaining this. In verse 4, there is something inexpressible. There's a restraint that has been placed upon him. He heard things that cannot be told. Not merely not able to be told, but cannot be told. Now when you and I read throughout the, the books of Ezekiel or Revelation and so on, you will find phrases that speak of the inexpressible and unexplainable. When i saw it, I fell face down, I heard the voice of the one speaking, Ezekiel one twenty eight. You find similar things in John's vision, which speak of the fact that he uses words such as like or as, because he lacks the terminology to be able to fully describe what it is that God is revealing to him. These people seem to find the words. But he's distinguishing true spirituality versus false spirituality. And then look very carefully now. He moves on to verses 5 and 6. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast. He keeps creating tension, except of my own weakness. And yet the Greeks gloried in power and strength. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. He wants to boast in his weakness. And God has a way of revealing his power in the midst of our weakness. I came across this. Years ago, there was a Christian leader, evangelist, came to speak at a state capitol out west, YMCA gathering. Tremendous reputation for his ability to communicate Mrs. Paul Evans says she got the call. Governor, would you have this man up for dinner before the evening meeting? And she and her husband were delighted when she heard the word. But tells us that the time came, I rushed home from my office in high expectation to meet
1: this dynamic speaker. And when he appeared at the door, I was taken aback. His facial features were distorted.
0: His hands trembled. His body was impaired. Everything seemed twisted and out of shape. Right before me was a gnome-like creature not over five feet tall. I'm sure my face registered disappointment when all of a
1: sudden he looked up at me with a smile and said isn't it wonderful who God can use as the vet looks up at me and says I would rather be in Christ in this bad body than to be out of Christ in a good body. And Paul is writing here in verse
0: 5 and says, On behalf of this man, speaking of self, but still not identifying, I'll boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. He wants people to see Christ in him. He doesn't want people to just think of him. Dr. F.B. Meyer was a gifted pastor in Great Britain. And he wrote to a friend a few weeks before his death. I'm now 82 years of age and in a nursing home. I want to tell you what the Spirit of God has been showing me lately. That I've acquired a reputation throughout Great Britain for sanctity because of my life and my books. It makes me tremble.
1: It makes one want to slip into heaven unnoticed. man was powerfully used by God while these pseudo apostles want to be
0: noticed Dr. F.B. Meyer would like to slip into
1: heaven unnoticed And there's the first aspect you see if you are
0: Understanding of what it means to be in Christ as you've pondered the revelations throughout the scriptures of Christ. But for those in Christ, not only do we note the revelations from God in verses 1 through 6, but secondly, for those in Christ, we note together the resources from God that I see here in verse 7 down through verse 10. Here it comes. And now he identifies himself, and if you've ever been wounded in action while living life in this fallen world, relate to this. All of a sudden he identifies. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, look very carefully at the way this thing is phrased in verse 7. You have now moved from the revelations to the resources. And Paul is saying, I'm living in pain with purpose. Now, there's a medical quandary for us. You see, if you are out of Christ and in pain, you will be grappling with the purpose of life without answers. But if you are in Christ and in pain, you are putting the body in proper perspective in relationship, you see, to all of eternity Because not only do you have a temporal zip code, you've got an eternal zip code that seem to be in tension with one another. The body is temporal. When we die, we go to be with the Lord and enter into the eternal. So to keep me, there is something purposeful here about the pain that Paul's experiencing, that you and I have got to be able to explore together. And notice it's to keep him from becoming conceited, which is the very issue, the very distinctive of these false apostles, these false spirituality sorts,
1: and beware of those kinds. They're all over the globe.
0: What stands out at this point is that it's purposeful, and it's to keep the apostle Paul from becoming proud. And so because of the surpassing greatnesses of the revelations, a thorn was given me. Now notice here that first of all this thorn is a gift. A thorn was given me. Paul's thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, came to him after his surpassingly great revelations, and in consequence of them, which means it was not a birth defect, not an impediment of any sort before the time of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It was a gift. You ever viewed pain as
1: a gift? But C.S. Lewis did. Pain is a signal that something has gone awry. Paul is
0: being reminded here that in this fallen world, yet in Christ, something has gone awry. A thorn was given me in the flesh, note this, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. But you see, Satan's not out to keep you from becoming conceited. Satan fell because of pride. Furthermore, in the Genesis account, he utilized the same approach to induce Eve to sin so that he, she, her husband would be like God. No, what you and I find here is the interplay between the sovereign God and Satan. Paul sees this thorn as simultaneously the work of Satan and the work of God. The thorn is a messenger of Satan, but Satan is, in fact, capable of inflicting physical damage. But if you look at the Job account, you will find that Satan is reporting into to God. God is not reporting in to Satan. And furthermore, because God is sovereign... If you and I explore the cross of Jesus Christ, we can see that God even utilized the evil realm to accomplish his purposes of sending Jesus Christ to the cross to die for our sins. Listen to what Luke wrote in Acts 4, verse 27 and 28. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So what we see here is God's sovereignty on one hand, and he is even using Satan, though Satan does not like the idea of being used to achieve the purposes that God has for Paul, that Paul can demonstrate himself to be the authentic apostle, And so now, just as Job in the Older Testament was afflicted, so now Paul in the Newer Testament is afflicted. And the affliction is purposeful. A thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me. Oh, he does. There's the satanic side to keep me from becoming conceited. There's the divine side of this issue. What that tells me, then, is that you and I need to have a sense of balance whenever things go wrong. Satan is obviously at work. It's a fallen world. Simultaneously, God is at work. All things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. But now you read on into verse 8 and verse 9. And in verse 8, we're told, Three times I pleaded with the Lord. Now these were not many second prayers. The Greek word here for plead carries with it the high level of both intensity as well as duration. He came into the presence of God. And this was a significant appeal. Not once, not twice, three times. Paul comes before him because it seems as though this is simply too much to bear. You ever been there? God, my God,
1: this is just too much. Three times but I want you to see what God said. But he said to me, my grace, my grace is sufficient. Are you willing to live with the sufficiency of grace?
0: that each and every morning you wake up and there's a new level of grace to get you through the highs as well as the lows of that day. There is purposefulness in all of this. The Jewish psychiatrist, Victor Franco, when he was incarcerated during World War II, was wrestling with the meaning of suffering and wrote this. There is nothing in the world that would so effectively help one to survive even the worst conditions as the knowledge that there is a meaning in one's
1: life. Quote, He who has a why to live can bear almost any how. Unquote. Paul is finding purpose in the
0: pain. And for some reason, God's sovereign purpose is the thorn is there, even though Paul has appealed. There's a plea. Now you notice the heading. We're talking now about the resources from God. You know what stands out to me? Paul is appealing that on the basis of God's grace, there would be a
1: removal of the thorn. God in His sovereign grace instead offers a resource for managing the thorn. For you see, so
0: often in our pleas we are pleading to God, God, remove me from this or
1: remove this from me. And God does not always provide removal in the realm of grace.
0: But God always provides a resource in the realm of grace. His father wrote a book Turning Hurts into Healing and wrote, fullness is not always a sign of strength and emptiness is not always a sign of weakness. To heal your hurts Empty yourself of things that weaken you and fill yourself with things that strengthen you. And then he went on to write, Seeds of strength are planted in the soils of weakness. Your most uplifting strength tomorrow
1: may grow from your most debilitating weakness today. Seeds of strength are planted in the soils of weakness.
0: Your most uplifting strength tomorrow may grow from your most debilitating weakness. Today, my grace is sufficient for you.
1: My power is made perfect in weakness. End of subject. You use a
0: red-letter version, all of a sudden you realize there's no more red letters there. Now Paul's got to respond, you see, to what it is that God has resourced. And here's how Paul responds. And the question is, how do we respond when instead of, we, of getting removal, we get resourced? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses and Gilberts. Amen's that one. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And now his purpose statement in the midst of all this, while he is in Christ, the thorn is in him for the sake of Christ, not for the sake of myself. For the sake of Christ, then, astoundingly, I'm content. Are you content in grace when God in his grace opts for resource rather than removal? For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When James Gordon Bennett sent Stanley to search for Livingston, this is what he said. Draw on me for a thousand pounds today to to provide your equipment. And when that is exhausted, draw on me for another thousand. And when that is done, draw another. But find Livingston. And what God authorizes you and me to do, when instead of removal, we get resourced,
1: is to draw on him. Because, beloved, each and every day, the supply is sufficient.
0: For the sake of Christ, not for my sake, not for your sake, then I'm content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. And here it is. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so you pull these two significant aspects together. Verses 1 through 6, in Christ, the revelations from God. Verses 7 through 10, in Christ, the resources from God. And there's grace in the resource. Don't limit grace
1: to simply removal. And so the Vietnam vet looks up at me. Pastor,
0: I'd rather be in Christ in this bad body
1: than to be out of Christ in a good body. Stand together. Father, we see the tensions and the paradoxes
0: here. We want to define grace,
1: we want to tailor grace, we want to control grace. When the reality is that this world is so complex and you are sovereign.
0: And you display sufficient grace for us, even though what we might desire from you is different. What we need from you is best. So if there's anybody here that's struggling this morning with being in Christ and yet being in difficult circumstances, take them now to the sufficiency of your grace, and where there will not be or has not been thus far removal. Overwhelm them with their resource, their sovereign God, who sent Jesus to die for our sins.
1: For this we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.